0: Heads up, Brickmoon listeners, this is part two of a two-part story, VFAM. If you have not yet listened to part one, head back in your feed if you like stories to proceed in order. Brick Moon Fiction presents VFAM by Kevin R. O'Hara Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle Part Two What was most odd about Warren's house, to Amethyst, was not the moss-covered Victorian architecture with peeling maroon paint, nor the crooked hexagonal tower jutting out from the third story, nor the black windows on the first floor all covered from the inside by garbage bags. It was the fact that this oddity sat tightly tucked in between several brand-new five-story condominiums. Over the last couple decades, the Emerald City had been rapidly developing to meet the demands of the growing tech sector population. In some areas, much of the old single-family dwellings were torn down to make way for amenity-filled apartment buildings, with things like restaurants and daycare centers on the street level. Clearly one homeowner here was able to hold on to his house in spite of aggressive gentrification. Wow, Amethyst said as Crovis landed on the rickety porch railing beside her. I'm a crow, and even I find this creepy. Amethyst walked up the steps, careful to avoid a deep hole in the wood. A pile of moldy local newspapers, still in plastic wraps, sat to one side of the door. She hesitated, and then knocked on the double door and waited. Crovis said, ''He's not going to answer,'' and then started to tap his beak against the window. ''My knocking's not going to get his attention, but your little taps will?'' she asked incredulously. ''I'm not attempting to get his attention. It doesn't take much for a familiar to sense another familiar.'' His bird, Huen, will notify him that we're not just nosy neighbors. A few moments later, the door creaked open. Amethyst gasped at the nearly seven-foot-tall man who lurked in the doorway. If the house was in a rough state, the owner was more so. His frazzled white hair grew in patches on his head and face. One of his ears was severely malformed, and one of his eyes glossed over white and didn't move to match his other as it stared down at her. His teeth... The few that remained were yellow and crooked. His left shoulder hung as if slightly out of its socket, and its long, thin arm ended in a curled hand which looked more like a gnarled claw. Amethyst shivered, taking a guess at what his price for magic was. Who the hell are you? He spat out, and then looked up to notice Crovis at the window. Oh, you. He turned around and limped back into the house. Amethyst had expected him to slam the door in her face then realized that by not doing so must have been his way of inviting them in. She hesitated, and Crovis swooped in past her. With a quick look back at the lively neighborhood, she entered into the darkness. She wandered around two hallways before finding the old man easing himself into a wooden rocking chair. The room was littered with books and paper. Through the dimness she realized some of the paper had splotches of bird poop, She looked up to see a magnificent great-horned owl perched on a deadwood tree stand in the corner of the room. Crovis kept his distance, hopping on an end table just inside the room. Amethyst glanced around for a chair to sit in, but then decided it was probably best to stay standing. Hello, my name's Amethyst. I'm Val's niece. The man grunted something unintelligible and reached out for a teacup with his good hand. It shook a bit as he lifted it to his lips. Hiya, Warren said Crovis. Warren regarded the crow for a moment and then rested his harsh, one-eyed gaze on the woman before him. He looked her up and down, though it was impossible to know if it were in a lecherous or judgmental way. Finally, he rasped, Get to it. What do you want with me? Well, I mean, hello. We're here to tell you about, uh, or I guess ask you about, um, familiars. And, um, you know, she stammered. You're no witch he concluded. Well, no, and for some reason this was enough to shake her from being off-balanced. She then asserted herself, Not yet. i have come here on behalf of the witches, get you to help with a problem, and maybe to learn a thing or two from you. They say you're smart. I'm knowledgeable about a great many things, girl. I have no interest in helping that coven, so why should I waste my valuable time on you? "'Crovis started to speak up but hopped back "'as the owl let out a small screech and unfurled its wings. "'It settled back once it was clear that the crow would be silent. "'Amethyst bit her lip and then decided to take a gamble. "'Okay, I get it. "'You're the wise old wizard who's too important to be bothered. "'I'll need to prove myself by answering a series of riddles "'or not backing down in the face of true power "'or appealing to the nugget of goodness "'buried deep within your crusty old heart. Uh, "'But here's the deal. "'I'm studying computer science?' Uh, I know you're no fan of tech, and I'm at a crossroads. Do I dedicate my life to technology or to magic? You could help convince me that science shouldn't replace magic. Warren leaned forward and shook his head. Replace? You proceed from a false premise, child. Modern people seem to think that magic was how ancient civilizations misunderstood the world, and that science came along and explained things that couldn't be explained properly before that science has in some way overcome magic. They are completely wrong. What do you mean? She asked, confused. Warren studied her carefully and then asked, What do you know of the higher planes, girl? Like heaven? No. There are four major planes of existence that border the material plane, the old wizard started to explain. What's the material plane? This is here. Everything around you, everything you see and touch, you. This is Materialis, the physical world, he said while pointing around with his good hand. Krobus jumped in. Madonna was most correct. You're just a material girl living in a material world. Warren grimaced at him, not understanding the reference, and then continued. This plane is about substance, gravity, consequences. The other major planes are based more on concepts and follow different rules. The first is Tranquillium. It embodies peace, harmony, healing. Like heaven? She repeated with a smile. No. Our souls are bound to the material plane, even in death. We don't go on to an eternal life in another plane. Humans can, however, astrally visit these other places for a limited time. It takes a great deal of arcane learning and practice, though many of those untrained in wizardry may briefly travel to Tranquilium while in a deep slumber. For some reason, religious people have jumped to the incorrect conclusion that merely living a conditionally prescribed life would result in getting to move to Tranquilium permanently. Fools. The next plane is Discordia. It is a place of chaos, pain, and fear. And before you ask, yes, it likely inspired the concept of hell. But it is not a place that one goes to for eternal torture, for breaking some arbitrary rule. Spirits summoned from this plane are commonly called demons, but unlike popular myth, they are more about spreading chaos and death than stealing souls. The third major plane is called Brio. That is home to emotions. Elan, passions, lust, humor, instincts. Home sweet home, interjected Crovis. Most common familiars are from Brio, as it is easiest for humans to connect with. It is also the easiest to bond with material plane animals. Passion is a powerful focal point for spell casting. Nightmares may take your spirit to visit Discordiae, but most regular dreams connect to Brio. So let me guess, Amethyst ventured, the fourth higher plane is entropy? Tranquillium's opposite is Discordiae, Brio's opposite is probably apathy? The Void, as we call it, is not a plane. No power or spirits exist there, and one cannot visit there because there is no there there. The Void is the absence of all other planes. The higher planes are not about opposites as they all border one another. The fourth higher plane is called acumen. It is comprised of ideas, language, intelligence, power. Long ago, human mages endeavored to protect this plane above all others. Access to it is what truly separates us from the animals of the material world. Science is not replacing magic. Science is magic. All major scientific revolutions have come from mages who have traveled to Acumen and brought back knowledge. Amethyst put her hands on her hips and responded, Wait a minute. Are you suggesting that all scientists are secretly wizards and that they are using magic to alter reality? Crovis answered her first, Reality is subjective. The wizard shook his head, visibly getting angry. no. Most scientists follow the scientific method. They are but observers, or they replicate and tweak power they did not create nor earn. Modern science is a stolen shadow of acumen magic, and the users of technology sacrifice nothing to exploit it. No sacrifice, countered the crow. Radiation, global warming, mass hysteria, growing inequality, reality television— they suffer no personal sacrifice. Crovis continued without losing a beat. Carpal tunnel syndrome, vision problems, ADHD, narcissism, reality television. Okay, okay, I get it, said Amethyst. Then she pulled her VFAM ball out of her pocket and let it float before her. So what about when old magic mixes with modern technology? Like how would one bind a spirit to something like this? In spite of being blind in one eye, both of Warren's eyes narrowed on the V-Fam. Where did you? Wait. That thing has no spirit. Hold on, Crovis interrupted. Lydia is linking to me. She tells me they've tracked down the imp to Gasworks Park. There's trouble. Warren, she beckons me to bring you. No, I don't take commands from witches, he scowled. "'but she says there are a bunch of them and begs for your expertise in banishment.' "'It is none of my concern. Begone, both of you!' He stood to his full height and his owl flew to the table, causing Crovis to flap back and squawk. "'All right, we're leaving,' said Amethyst. "'Thanks for the lesson on planes, Dumbledork.' "'What took you so long?' Whispered Crovis as Amethyst arrived at the nearly empty parking lot where Val, Lydia, and Theo waited. (sighs) I think I now understand the expression as the crow flies. You didn't have to wait for me, she said, out of breath. We're fairly certain the imps will detect us or the familiars if we get too close, Lydia explained. You don't have the smell of magic on you and might be able to get close enough to find out what they're doing. It's some sort of gathering. There are a dozen or so men with those imps. Oh, yeah, no problem. Amethyst answered. Feel safe to wander around Gasworks Park after dark by myself and, you know, sneak up on a bunch of crazy guys with little demons on their shoulders. BRB. She didn't move. Oh, don't worry, dear, said Val. We'll be close by. You may not know this about your aunt, but I can pack a punch. Val held up an imposing wooden rod with a tip that smoldered like burning coal. They aren't trained in magic, Theo added. My spell revealed that they have only enough skill to bind the imps. Those little buggers can be nasty, but they don't work together very well, and it should be easier to banish them than a true familiar, because they don't have an actual animal spirit to anchor them here. So why not just go in and blast them back to Discordier? We want to know what they are up to first, said Lydia. Don't worry, we'll have your back if any trouble starts. Amethyst looked at their confident faces, and then at Crovis, who simply said, Get to it, bait. She gave a shrug and headed up the trail into the park. Gasworks Park was one of the more interesting locations in Seattle. Prior to the 1960s and the wide-scale adoption of electricity, the coal gasification plant here powered much of the lights and heat of the city. After being closed down, it was turned into a public park with walking trails, picnic areas, and a huge mound known as Kite Hill, topped with a large astrological sundial, a perfect gathering place for witches during the solstices. Several large gaswork towers and steel piping lingered throughout the park, some of which were restored and made into play areas, while others were rusted, fenced off, and now filled with graffiti and blackberry brambles. Despite being dark out, the park wasn't completely empty. Joggers and lovers wandered around the grounds and up at the top of the hill, which offered a spectacular view of the Seattle skyline across Lake Union. Near the partially covered picnic area, Amethyst noticed a number of men sitting around, and she slowly approached. She quickly realized that they were homeless and obviously didn't have the means to afford VFAMs or specs. She reflected on how much of the new augmented world was hidden from people like them. Perhaps Warren was right to dislike technology. It only seemed to further the gap between the haves and the have-nots. What it must be to see this new fad of annoying balls revolving around the entitled and never even knowing the existence of the brightly animated characters or wondrous special effects. After a few moments, Amethyst moved on towards the large fenced-off section around the biggest grouping of old gaswork towers. She noticed that one of the fence gates was slightly open, despite the steel chains and various no-trespassing signs. She looked around and then slipped in. After passing several large rusted pipes, she saw a dozen or so men wearing specks standing in a circle, mostly obscured from the rest of the park by the old three-story cylinders. Based on their outfits and appearance, she decided to label them as Brogrammers, a self-absorbed sector of the new tech workforce. Another dozen smaller forms floated around them. She lowered her specks to see they were VFAM balls. With the specks on, they were all manner of little gargoyle-looking creatures, grotesque and devilish. No one seemed to notice her as she got within ten feet of them and crouched behind a vertical pipe that was twice her width. "'This is bullcrap!' yelled the bald man that Amethyst recognized from the image Lydia shared. "'You promised us power! These little shits have been nothing but trouble!' "'Yeah, Jace, mine actually told my girlfriend I was cheating on her. It showed her the goddamn video!' a second guy complained while swatting at his imp, which then turned to bite at his finger." A stocky man with a long blonde ponytail, a black trench coat, geeky t-shirt, and jeans with holes at the knees tried to settle the men down. "'Calm yourselves. We're dealing with dark powers. I told you there would be personal sacrifice. You wanted the power, you pay the price.' "'We haven't learned hardly any real spells yet, though,' a third man pressed. A smaller guy with closely cropped hair, a perfectly waxed beard, and bejeweled specks disagreed with the others. I've had fun with the jinxing charm so far. I love watching my coworkers freak out when their computers mysteriously stop working or the espresso machine spits sludge on them. The first man shouted, Playing pranks on people isn't what we wanted. We want true power. Now. Jace waved his hand in an unusual gesture, and crackling electricity arced between his fingers. You mean like this? They all quieted down in reverence. The imps started hopping around with glee at the sparks. As I've told you, you're in the beta program. As you help me work out the bugs, you'll get more control over your demon and more access to Discordier. Are you looking for more testers? All of the men jumped when Amethyst appeared from the shadows. Where did she come from? What the hell? Who are you? Jace simply looked her over and asked, What would make you a good candidate? I have witches in my family, and I know my way around code, Amethyst answered with a smile. Jace walked closer to her, his hands still crackling with arcane electricity. You should have waited for your family to show up. What? she said, backing up. I knew you were coming, and I knew you weren't here to join us. Get her! Her eyes widened as the other men started to spread around and surround her, cutting off her means of escape. Jace's reddish imp flew from his shoulder towards her face. It gave a menacing laugh and showed its sharp, needle-like teeth. A second later, a black blur swooped through, grabbing the imp and hauling it up into the air. It struggled against Crovis's grasp, pulling at feathers. This came to an abrupt end as Crovis impaled it against a rebar pole near the top of one of the larger cylinders. It screamed out in a high-pitched squeal and then blinked out of existence when the crow tore the mesh case away and eviscerated the rotors and cameras of the VFAM. Three other imps flew up after Crovis, each of them firing off black bolts of negative energy which wormed through the air erratically. A cloudy spark of energy dented the rusted structure as the bolts narrowly missed. The imps flew closer and prepared another salvo. Crovis turned to fly through the jutting pipes for cover, but they were nearly upon him. Whoosh! A flaming glob incinerated all three of the imps. The men whipped around to see Val standing twenty feet away with her smoldering rod in hand. Beside her was Lydia holding out a large crystal and Theo with an open book in hand. Jace rallied the men and the remaining imps and shouted, Enter chorus mode! Attack the witch! The eight other imps formed a perfectly symmetrical line and cast their jinxes synchronously. Where the previous attacks were sporadic little bolts, this formed a highly coordinated and massive zap directed at Val. Jace added to the deluge with his own electrical energy. Lydia spoke some quick words in another language and hurled herself in front of Val, thrusting the now glowing crystal before them. A translucent white shield appeared around the three witches and took the brunt of the attack. As soon as the shield faded, Val resumed blasting at the imps, missing some but downing a couple. She focused hard on the rod and let loose a large blast directly at Jace. He managed to dive out of the way, however, not before his trench coat caught flame, forcing him to spend a couple panicked minutes shedding it and seeking shelter under the pipes. With the others fully engaged, Theo took his time speaking the words of a complex banishment spell from his book. Lord Froggington hung out of his jacket pocket, croaking along with the incantation. The men started to gather their wits and began to rush at the witches, Val tried to wave her rod again, but her power was spent, and she sat down on the grass, exhausted. Lydia went to raise her crystal again, but it clumsily fell from her hand and unluckily rolled underneath a grate in the rusted structure. Snuffles jumped from Val's pocket and scurried after it. It didn't seem like Theo would have time to finish his spell before the men were upon them. Amethyst thought quickly and whispered a command to her V-Fam, ''Baha! Scale 8X!'' The silver dragon flew from her shoulder to be in front of the men and astoundingly grew to be over sixteen feet in size. Normally it would be easy to detect the illusion of the augmented reality, but in the darkness and with all the actual magic that had transpired, all of the men were fooled except Jace, and any observer who didn't have specs on or activated. Theo finished his spell and all of the imps simply disappeared. The V-Fam balls stopped working and silently dropped to the ground. "'Great work, Theo!' Val congratulated him, weakly. Thanks, he said, looking down at her with a confused look on his face, and added, What did I do? Jace is getting away, Lydia called as she started after him and tripped over Val's wand, falling face-first into a thorny blackberry bush. She yelped in frustration and called to Crovis. Follow him! Crovis flew high in the air to try to get a better view of where Jace was running. Amethyst returned her VFAM to its original size and commanded it. Baja, follow mode, and she used a feature of her specs to target lock on Crovis. The VFAM hovered fast behind him through the trees on the edge of Gasworks Park. Crovis nearly lost Jace's trail several blocks away when he ran under a bridge, but familiarity with the area gave the crow a pretty good idea of where the man was headed. Amethyst must not have been too far behind, or she might have found a way to modify her VFAM to have a much longer range than advertised, because the device kept up with Crovis. ''All right, fake dragon,'' Crovis said as he circled above the bridge. ''I can sense some serious magic down there, and I don't mean the troll under the bridge. I don't want to be detected yet, so you sail down there and scout it out.'' ''My master wants me to let you know that she agrees with your plan, Crovis,'' spoke the V-Fam. Without access to Lydia's vision through the specks, Crovis only saw it as a floating ball now. When it went under the bridge, it did indeed find a giant troll half emerged from the ground, big enough that it held an automobile in its hand. It loomed over 18 feet high and was made from several tons of concrete. The car in its massive grasp was an actual Volkswagen Beetle, a metal hubcap served as one eye on the motionless monstrosity. Before the public sculpture known as the Fremont Troll stood Jace, nervous and sweating. Baja transmitted streaming video back to Amethyst, who shared it with Lydia, who in turn relayed it to Crovis. "'Oh, great and powerful!' The witches were there a lot faster than you said. They wiped out all of our imps, including mine, whined the programmer. Suddenly the hubcap eye of the troll glowed, and the gigantic mouth slowly spoke. That is of no concern. Was the experiment successful? Jace stepped back from the ominous stone face. Yes, your plan worked. The Vfams were able to teach them the summoning spell over a couple days. They were all successful in binding the spirits to the v And did the demons turn on them? The troll demanded, glaring down its long, crooked nose. Yeah, sort of. They clearly didn't have control over the imps. Most were starting to regret signing up. I'd say in another week they all would have started to go mad and be slaves to Discordier. They were already being destructive. ''Excellent!'' thundered the troll. ''No more tests. I don't want those witches to interfere with my plan. How soon can you infect this code into all of these infernal machines?'' ''There is a major update going out this week, and I have leverage over our QA department, lead to ignore a last-minute check-in. Most people download new upgrades automatically as soon as they are available,'' All I need to do is get to my desk, plug this bad boy in, and submit some files, Jace said while holding up a tiny USB flash drive in his hand shaped like a bullet casing. This is going to mess up a shit ton of technology once all of those imps are summoned, so you had better come through with your end of the deal and teach me to be a master sorcerer. Crovis sent a mental message to Lydia. Direct Amethyst to distract them, and he flew up to gain altitude before plunging down at top speed. As he dropped beneath the Aurora Bridge and swooped in, the v began blasting a hit pop song, completely surprising Jace. With unnatural accuracy, Crovis snatched the USB drive from Jace's hand and kept flying. Stop the crow! shouted a voice from both within and above the troll. The decrepit, lanky form of Warren popped up from behind his hiding space behind the troll's head, which instantly lost its animation and returned to being a statue. Jace looked utterly bewildered at everything that just happened. Warren waved his hand and infused his owl, hewen with a greenish glow. A small trickle of blood appeared from Warren's nostril as his avian familiar launched off his shoulder to take pursuit. Crovis's momentum gave him a strong lead on the owl, but whatever spell Warren had cast seemed to help close the gap quickly between the two birds. Within moments, the enhanced owl overtook the crow and raked him, causing him to tumble with several black feathers spinning off. Crovis regained his balance and changed course. While Hewan was slower to make turns, it quickly caught up, its talons reaching out inches away from Crovis again. Crovis held tight to the USB drive and folded one wing in to narrowly veer away from the attack. While it saved him, he knew that eventually the owl would grow wise to his maneuvers and overcome him. The crow scanned around and dropped down to fly through tree branches, hoping the larger bird wouldn't be able to avoid the branches as deftly as he did. This slowed the chase down slightly, but the owl's reflexes were anything but ordinary right now, and it remained hot on his tail. Crovis was still too far away from the witches to elicit their help, and Amethyst's V-Fam was far too slow to keep up with them to provide another distraction. Crovis considered turning to fight, but knew that he wouldn't stand a chance against the larger predator, especially in its current condition. Then Crovis saw them. In an old hemlock tree roosted a couple dozen crows, Crovis landed hard on a branch, causing several of them to take flight from the tree. While there was no way the owl would mistake an ordinary crow from a magical familiar, Crovis' intention was not to hide. The owl flapped his wings wildly to slow down and back away as the other crows took note of both newcomers and then all stared daggers at the one who looked different from themselves. Afraid of a little murder, Huon? Crovis taunted while the other crows started to caw wildly at the intruder, The owl screeched once and flew away. It was several days later when the coven met up again. Theo had regained his memory with the help of his toad. Val had recovered all of her spoons with the fastidious caretaking of Snuffles, and after a mistakenly bounced rent check, a favorite scarf gone missing, and a broken toe, Lydia finally shed her bad luck with no help whatsoever from Crovis. After quick greetings and hugs, Amethyst took the center of the ring of couches and announced, Okay, with a lot of help from Theo, I was able to crack Jace's code. There is essentially three parts to it. At its core, it's an embedded summoning spell carefully translated from some old Greek text. The lesser-known manuscripts of the Papyri Magisae, 413 B.C., Lord Froggington embellished for her. Yeah, that. It was fascinating to see how ancient spell structure so easily converts to modern-day code. Once this is uploaded to a VFAM's operating system, Its first function is to teach the user how to cast the embedded spell. It uses augmented reality learning to correct hand gestures and coach hitting the right syllables. The same thing you witches take years to master can be learned in just a few days, especially because it only focused on one specific spell and doesn't require any of the deeper understanding of how magic works. So those men just got their VFAMs altered by Jace and were able to quickly learn to bind a Discord spirit to themselves via the VFAM. The second function is casting the spell itself. The third function was harder to decipher because it was hidden and time-locked. It gives the imp a secret task to accomplish—a purpose. All familiar bindings require prescribing a precise purpose, said Crovis. Mine is to annoy the hell out of Lydia. He's pretty good at it, too, Lydia retorted. Amethyst chuckled and continued. After two months, these imps are tasked with causing as much mayhem as they can with the technology— "'even or especially at the expense of their user. "'It seems like Warren wants people to grow accustomed "'to the benefits of a true familiar "'and then have them go all time-bomb. "'I'm not sure whether he's hoping for a PR disaster "'to give the tech a bad name "'or if he realizes just how catastrophic this could actually be. "'Mass destruction and even death could happen "'if these propagated globally.' "'Well, it's a good thing we stopped him,' "'smiled Val while Snuffles snuggled under her chin. "'I doubt we did.' Amethyst said gravely. It's highly unlikely that this was Jace's only copy of the code, or that he couldn't quickly rewrite if needed. I tried to call his company to warn them of viruses, but I have no idea how much power Jace wields there, or if customer service even followed up with the right people considering the size of the company. At best, we slowed him down a little. What do we do? Lydia asked the group. I have an idea, Amethyst gave a wicked smile, I've figured out Jace's code, and I think I can rewrite a couple of the sections, with Theo and Froggington's assistance, of course. It's almost as simple as flipping a bit to change the origination plane from Discordia to Tranquillium. Then I can alter the secret mission from causing mayhem to something like helping the homeless, to change these things from agents of chaos to agents of equality. Warren and Jace know we're on to them. We won't be able to replace the code without them noticing. It won't stop them from their plan, Lydia said that genie is already out of the bottle. Regardless, I expect that within a short time our entire world is going to change to a place where people with the means will have access to a new magic. My idea is to offer a counter to the imps. We can work together to try to get this code out for people to have a choice once the imps start causing havoc. Lydia asked, will your code work? I'm going to use it tonight to try and bind a spirit of Tranquillium to my virtual dragon, Bahamut. Are you certain you wouldn't rather take on a more traditional familiar? Crovis asked her. And potentially end up with a pain in the ass like you, Crovis? No way, she laughed and added. I love you, bird, but I think new tech suits me better. The witches and familiars began discussing the plan while Lydia took a moment to internalize everything and then spoke solemnly to the group. Soon, just about everyone is going to have a virtual yet very real familiar. All of us here, this coven... We're all either going to be the leaders or the resistance of this new world. Kevin R. O'Hara enjoys employment as a creative director in the video game industry. He originally hails from Spencerport, New York, but promptly moved to the West Coast after graduating from Ithaca College's film school. He has worked various roles in the film and video game industry over the years, most of which involved creative writing and game design. He currently resides near Seattle, Washington, with his lovely wife, awe-inspiring daughter, and energetic Kieshand. Find him on Twitter at JoltedKev. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.